Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. How are we? How about that storm last night? It was crazy. Um, you can clap for the storm. Sure, we can clap for the storm. Uh, my name is Garland. If this is your first time joining us or first time in a long time or maybe first time to church, uh, what we do when we gather is we gather together to, to celebrate and to, to remember uh, the power and the goodness and the grace of our God. That's why we are here. And we do that in a whole bunch of different ways through we're looking at the scripture, through uh, taking communion, through singing songs. And uh, uh, this morning, what we want to do on a rainy morning is uh, we want to we enjoy and celebrate the, the Lord's grace together. We want to have fun in doing it. We realized this morning that Dave and I have the exact same shirt and pants on. And so we're going to do a little live competition later. You can text in who wore it better and let us know which one of the two of us uh, wore that better today. That's but an easy uh, win. Yeah, I feel good about easy it. I feel good about me. that win. Um, but in light of that, hey, we want to have fun this morning. You might, you might feel the need to maybe even like clap or smile or your foot may move a little bit. We have a dobro in the house this morning and harmonica going this morning. It's not what we always do. But if you wouldn't mind, I need y'all's energy to go here with me. No fake singing. Even if you don't know the song, catch on with us. Stand up with us if you don't mind. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, let's celebrate him together. Here we go. Here we go. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil or victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Come for a cleansing to Calvary's high. There's wonderful power in the blood. Let's sing it out. Here we go. For Jesus, your King, there's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily His praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Good morning. 
sing this together. Blessed, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory. Savior, all the day long. 
yourself a round of applause. You sound great this morning. You can take a seat. How's it going? Good. Hey, my name is Brian Pope. I'm the Global Outreach Director here, and I have a confession to make. Sometimes fellowship doesn't do a really good job of communicating everything that's going on. So for instance, how many of y'all know, by a raise of hands, how many of y'all know that we have a disaster relief fund at fellowship? Ah, yeah. How many of y'all had no idea that we have a disaster relief fund? Exactly. Well, that only exists because of your generosity and, and what has happened over the years when a natural disaster or something has happened somewhere in the globe, what we try to do is we try to reach out and find ministry partners that we can bless uh, to go out into the community and to help those in need. So whether it's been hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, earthquakes, we try to identify local believers in that area and just bless them so they can bless others. And so this year, uh, there's a, a pastor in Brazil that we know that we have a relationship with, and he reported uh, to one of our members that because of COVID, the government stopped going out and caring for uh, some villages really far off uh, and down the Amazon. And so we were able, the body, that means you, was able to send some funds to be able to purchase some oxygen uh, to go out in the name of the church, in the name of Christ, and to bless some people. And we have a video uh, of what uh, we were able to accomplish. So take a look at this. Hello, friends from Fellowship uh, Church. I'm Pastor Al Melessa from uh, First Baptist Church of Parintins on the Amazon. And I just want to take this time to thank you so much for helping us in a very difficult moment we had with uh, COVID. Uh, your partnership and your generosity, the, the funds that you sent helped us in a moment that we were in desperate need of oxygen. Our hospitals in Parintins and small towns were in need of uh, hygiene materials, we were able to distribute medication, materials to the hospital, and like I mentioned, a lot of oxygen, not only for the hospital in Parintins, but in, in many other cities uh, near, near here. So your generosity and the other partners that God raised during this time were, was a huge blessing to us. So I wanna take this time uh, to thank you so much for your generosity, for your vision for missions. And I believe only eternity will tell us the benefits and the blessing that uh, we were able to be in this season. Thank you for helping us to be the church that we needed to be and to be able to save lives physically as well as spiritually through the preaching of the gospel. May God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Fellowship. That could only happen because of you. You know, we're living uh, in some pretty crazy times, and sadly, we're seeing a lot of people walk away from the faith. And you probably even know somebody who, who's stopped coming to church or just stopped living for Christ. But at the same time, on the opposite side of the scale, we're seeing a lot of people who are becoming really serious about their walk with Christ. And so we've just even, even recently had a lot of people approach the global team and say, hey, I think that God might be calling me to go and take the gospel where it is not. 
And so if that sounds like you, or if you just think that God is stirring something uh, in your heart, we want to connect with you. And so you can just uh, take a snap of this and just send us an email. And we're not talking about people who are like, hey, I'm ready to go tomorrow. Sign me up. We're just talking about people that we want to walk alongside of maybe for the next year or two and just even think about and pray about, could this be something that God has in store for you? Also, you know, we're blessed up here with live worship. Do you realize that basically every ministry and every age on campus here uh, has live worship? And so what that means is, is if you are gifted in music, we need you. We have a place for you to serve. And so uh, please reach out to us if you can play anything, the recorder, the Congos, whatever God may have gifted you with, reach out to us. And I bet Dave is going to be able to find a place for you to serve. So speaking of worship, Garland, will you lead us? Thank you. Thank you, fellowship. Recorder is welcome, please. I'd love to see that on here. Um, let me take you back in time. So uh, you have to envision as best you can. Uh, this is your Old Testament, that part of the Bible that uh, for some of us gets kind of long and sometimes hard to follow. Uh, in, the, in the middle of the Old Testament story, we're in the mid-500s B.C., okay, so 500 years before Jesus. The people of Israel, the one who have, have, a, have a covenant with this, the God of the Scriptures, uh, they find themselves in a desperate situation. Like, they're far away from their homeland. They've, they've gone into exile. Uh, for them, everything that they've known has seemed to be broken. And I'm sure there's a, lot of, there's a lot of questions and a lot of pain and a lot of fear as they're literally living as refugees in a foreign land. So put yourself in that, in that place. You're there, as a, you're there in the refugee camp with ancient Israel in ancient Babylon as their exiles there. And the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, he has these words for that people. And it's this amazing message of hope. And we're gonna see... Uh, these words ring out into that, into that group, that exiled group. And I want you to see them. They come from Isaiah 55. Here they are. It says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Now imagine the, the desperation and the pain of where they're at. And these words come to them. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And the prophet asked this question. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? You can almost hear him begging them, listen, listen to me. In the midst of brokenness, in the midst of questions, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of uncertainty, says, come to me, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Not surprisingly, 500 years later, our, our King Jesus will will echo these words in Matthew chapter 11. As a broken crowd looks desperate and confused with lots of questions, he says, come to me. You're weary and broken and I'll give you a rest. And in light of that, we just wanna reflect on those words by singing this song. So if you wouldn't mind, would you stand with us and uh, wherever you're at this morning, maybe you got doubts, maybe you got questions and uh, maybe it's been a hard season. Maybe you feel like an exile. Uh, maybe there's brokenness. Maybe it's a great morning for you. This word is the invitation to come and be reminded of his goodness and his grace. So sing with us. Come ye sinner, poor and needy, weak 
and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Sing it out. I will arise. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace
God, what a gift it is to worship you today, knowing that our worth is not in broken mortal things, God, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. God, it is in that truth that we stand here before you, God, and we lay our lives before you. God, because how else can we thank you but to serve you? And Lord, as we hear from your word today, pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds, let us be changed, and help us learn to love you in a new way. We love you and worship you, God, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Hey, great job by the worship team today, huh? Yeah. That was their War Eagle Craft Fair warm-up. I do have to, I'm a new fan of Joanna, our vocalist this morning. Doesn't she have a wonderful voice? Have to correct something Brian Pope said. There is no such musical instrument as a Congo. That is a country in Africa. There is a conga, which is a musical instrument. And there's a bongo, but not a Congo. All right. But he's a global outreach guy, so he's thinking in that realm, right? Another thing, our disaster relief fund, we open that. It's not always open. So if you go to our website and you're looking for that right now, you won't find it open. But when there's a specific disaster or something happens, then we open that portal so that our body can, can give. And every dime that you give toward those disaster relief issues go to our partners like this, and I love having a video. Offering plates are going around now, and, and just remind you that uh, if you give online, you can tap it twice so that people around you will know that uh, you give online. If you give to Fellowship Bentonville, you tap it three times, all right? So uh, just in case you're embarrassed by those things. Uh, it rained today, and it's really raining hard outside. Isn't that great? You're welcome. I washed my car on Friday. Some of you did too. You looked at the weather and you said, oh, it's going to be dry for a while. Well, that's what I did. Uh, if you're new to fellowship, if, you're, if you've been around here a while, you've uh, put up with my face for a long time. But if you're new here, my name is Mickey Rapier and I serve as a directional leader of our congregations, our congregation of uh, Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. And within that, we have several congregations, just to bring you up to speed on what's happening. We have, uh, of course, our Fellowship Fable congregation that uh, has been in existence now since this particular campus has been in existence since 2016. Can you believe it's been that long? It just seems like a snap since we had our first service here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And then we have our Fellowship Rogers location, which is our central campus. We opened that in June of 1991. Of course, the church started in 1984. And then we have our Fellowship Mosaic congregation, which meets on Saturday night on our Rogers campus. And they've been in existence since 1998. And uh, there, after that, we have uh, Celebrate Recovery that meets here on Friday nights. If you've never been to one of their services on Friday nights, I encourage you to do that. And also they meet on Friday nights and on Rogers campus. And then we have two brand new congregations that we have taken responsibility for. Uh, Samaritan Church in Rogers and Samaritan Church in Springdale. Both closely affiliated but not a part of Samaritan Community Center. 
But we're really excited about that because we had two of our staff members who prayed about it and said, yes, I will step into that role after Jeff Onstead retired. And so we're taking responsibility for those congregations, and we hope they will be two brand new church plants within three years for us. And uh, we have a lot of people who feel like their calling is to help those marginalized in our community. And uh, so in fellowship in Springdale and uh, fellowship in Rogers, uh, they're on 102. So I hope you'll pray for those two congregations as they're rebooting and getting started. And then, of course, we have a brand new congregation cranking up and and we're in the construction phase right now. Fellowship Bentonville, I have a picture on the screen so you can see the progress that's coming on. Does that building look familiar to you? Uh, you know, in 2015, uh, we were at this stage with this facility. Uh, and now we hope to open in early spring of 2016, just off of Exit 88 on McCullum Road there in Bentonville. And we're really excited about that. You can find out more and get updates at fellowshipbentonville.org. And there's also a little spot in there where you can uh, make recurring gifts to that. And we're counting on all of our body to do that, to do something, anything. Set up a recurring gift so that it will happen monthly because it's making a difference. I can tell you, you can see how much construction has been done. Uh, that's a lot of construction. As a matter of fact, I talked to the guy who did our steel erecting there and the other day, and he does a lot of that all over Northwest Arkansas. And he said, by the way, you know how much steel has gone up since you all ordered the steel for your project? And I said, no, how much? He said, 80%. 80%. But thus far, we've not had to borrow one dime in order to build that much because of your generosity. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible that we've been able to stay ahead of it, and we want to keep staying ahead of it. Uh, to our general fund and to our giving to Fellowship Bentonville, my wife and I, we both increased our giving for this year because that's how much we believe in it. God is doing great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas, and you are very much a part of that. And so I just wanted to pause and say thank you for your generosity. Well, we're in our last week of the book of Hebrews. Hasn't this been a great study? I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. I hope it's just the beginning for you of going back and studying the book of Hebrews again, reading through it again, now that maybe you have a better understanding of what this book is all about, because it's, it's a tremendous book. Um, you've all had this experience if you've had a 16-year-old son or daughter, Okay. You've had this experience, that time when you have taught them to drive and they drive away that first time. You can still see it in your mind, can't you? They drive away that first time that they've turned 16 all by themselves. You're not in the car with them. And in that moment, you're going to experience that with Titus one of these days, buddy. Titus is going to be behind the wheel. You experience in that moment all the things that you forgot to tell them. Am I correct? And I thought of a few of those things this week because I taught three of them to drive and was scared to death as they drove off on their own that first time. One of the things was when you come to a four-way stop 
or a traffic light, before you move, even if it's green, you look both ways, right? Because not everybody stops when they go through or they're trying to rush through at the last second. So go ahead and look both ways before you move forward. Uh, The next thing was never stop at a rest area at night on the freeway, right? I remember my daughter coming in one night and said, yeah, we stopped and slept a while at a rest area. And I went, I forgot to tell her not to do that. And the third thing is one that we all should say is don't do all the things on the road that you've seen me do for the last 16 years. Don't drive like I do. Follow the rules. Be wise. Well, when I come to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, it's like we've got a list here of things that he wanted to tell us. Now, I'm not saying the writer of Hebrews forgot some things like I would teaching my kids to drive, but it's, it's a list for us to walk through. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through this list that we find in the book of Hebrews. We have major sections here. We have verses one through six, moral imperatives. You can just bracket that in your Bible. Then we have seven through 19. We have religious imperatives. And then we have a benediction, which, which our worship team will cover with that at the end of the service. And then we have a postscript at the very end. And I'll have a thought about that. But let's just jump right into it. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. And so I'm going to ask you, are you with me? Okay, yes, you're with me. So let's get started. The first thing he says is something about the preeminence of love. The preeminence of love. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. John 13, 35. Who said that? The writer of Hebrews, and we're not sure who it is, but we know who said this next thing. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. If you love one another. Remember, these believers are living under the rising threat of persecution. And it's likely during that time that there there, there may have been some strife. There were some of them who were giving second thoughts to their conversion to Christianity. And, And so there was likely strife among them. And he says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Good sound doctrine is important to us. It's essential to us. But if we have good sound doctrine and there's no love, then it feels like a, just a list of starchy rules. We are supposed to practice love with one another so that people from outside see that God is in us. There is something different about them. The second thing he does is address hospitality. Verse 2, don't forget, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, now don't just look at the last section of that verse and chase the mysticism and forget the point of the entire verse, all right? Because we said, angels, where? My daughter did that one night. I was when she was little, I was praying with her, and I said, There are angels here in your room. She said, Where? Where? Don't chase the mysticism. You see, there were inns in that day, but they weren't healthy. They were expensive. And so most people couldn't even afford. There, there, was, there were no motels or Airbnbs, things like that, where they could stay. And so they depended on the hospitality of strangers as they were traveling. When I think about hospitality, I think about our small group ministry. 
You know, Denise and I have a group of young married couples that uh, we've had in our home the last year and will this next year as well because of COVID and the Zoom meetings. We want one more year with them. But we love having them in our homes. We, we, in our home, we love cooking for them. And, and they have become like family to us. To practice hospitality is to demonstrate that love that he talked about in verse 1. Fellowship small group gatherings where hospitality is practiced and, and, and we meet under the banner of truth, relationships, account, and accountability. It's our best protection against Satan's attacks. Because you see, it keeps us from getting separated from the herd. We, we need that place where we can feel loved and cared for, where we can study the word together, where we can share our hearts with one another. Because you get separated from the herd, that's when you're most vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Our elders have designated small groups as essential, not elective. Because they know if you just sneak in the back row and, and, or, or anywhere in here and then sneak out on Sunday and never get connected to the body, that's not really what fellowship is all about. We are celebration and cell. We are large group and small group. That's where health come from, comes from. Now, his reference to angels is interesting. And he's likely referring back to the Old Testament where Abraham and Sarah entertained an angel in Genesis 18. And then Lot in Genesis 19. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, Manoah. Manoah, like Gideon. In chapter 13 of Judges. And when we practice hospitality, he's saying we may be entertaining God's messengers to us. Which, that's what the word angel means. It's burning one, but it's also his messenger to us. God may be sending someone to be a messenger to us. And so we won't get into the mysticism aspect of it. Uh, we will just know that God can do what he wants to do. Verse 3, he says, remember the persecuted. Remember the persecuted. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Remember, we said that they were under the rising threat of persecution during this time. Nero, of course we know what happened with, with Peter and with Paul. But he was a ruthless and violent Roman emperor. Tacitus, a Jewish or a Roman historian, wrote this about Nero. And Tacitus was a historian who had no sympathy for Jews or Christians. This is what he said. And they, and perishing they, which was the Christians, were additionally made into sports. They were killed by dogs by having the hides of beasts attached to them. Or they were nailed to crosses or set aflame. And when the daylight passed away, they were used as night, nighttime lamps. Nero gave his own gardens for this spectacle and performed a circus game. Can you imagine? They took Christians and put them on crosses. And he put them up in his gardens so they would be lamps at night. What a, what a terrible, terrible thing. And so he's saying to them, remember those who are being persecuted as if you were there with them. Don't forget the persecuted. 
And having Brian up here this morning, the, the persecuted church is something that I pray for every day. I have a list, and, and here's a great resource for you if you want to hold your phone up and, and get this connection, but opendoorsusa.org forward slash world watch list. And they send out a book, or it's also available online, where you can pray for the top 50 countries where it's most difficult to follow Jesus. And as I pray through, I pray, God, would your Holy Spirit sweep across that land? Would your Holy Spirit in some way cause those leaders of those countries to have dreams or visions, help people rise up, protect our workers there? And as I look through this list of 50 countries, we have workers in so many of these closed and dangerous countries. A young lady called me, or no, she didn't call me this summer. She sent me a nasty email, so I called her and, uh, to find out what was going on. And uh, when I called her back, she said, well, we don't do anything globally. And I said, oh, yeah, we do. And she said, why don't we ever hear about it? And I said, because it will get people killed. You don't put a video on screen of someone who is in a closed country. You can't do that. But we have workers who are there. I just heard the story this morning about some of our workers who have friends who are being persecuted right now. They're in prison right now. We need to pray for the persecuted church across the world. And this is a great resource for you. Then he talks about the sanctity of marriage. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. If you want to tear down the reputation and the influence of the church, tear down our marriages. I'm devastated when I hear that someone in the Lord's church has gone through a divorce. Or when someone has been unfaithful to their spouse. Don't let Satan tear down your marriage. Let it stand firm. Let it be strong. Years ago, John Moore wrote a song. It's called Guard Your Heart. You know, and I share with all of our young leaders coming into fellowship, be careful. Don't put yourself in a, in a situation with a member of the opposite sex where you might be tempted. Just don't do it. The world does it, but we don't have to do that. But the song said this, what appears to be a harmless glance could turn to romance where homes are divided. Feelings that should never have been awakened within, tearing the heart into. Listen, I beg of you, guard your heart. In the other stanza, he said, the human heart is easily betrayed, easily swayed and often betrayed at the hand of emotion. We dare not leave the outcome to chance, but we must choose in advance. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't trade it for treasure. Don't give it away. Guard your heart. It's a payment for pleasure. It's a high price to pay. For the soul that remains sincere with a conscience clear, guard your heart. Don't allow Satan to tear your marriage apart. Because then he drops the hammer in the last part of this verse. He says, God will judge in verse four. There is nothing found in a marriage outside your relationship that's worth throwing your life away to attain. Nothing. Guard your heart. 
Because God will judge. In God's eyes, marriage is, is sacred. It's precious. Well, then he talks about the benefit and the security of contentment. He said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. When will we learn that the good life is enjoying what you have? The good life is enjoying what you have in the position where God has placed you, regardless of where that is. Be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. When all is stripped away, if everything you have is taken away from you and you have Jesus, you still have everything. Amen? I see that all the time with people when I'm standing by their bedside and they're dying. Everything has been stripped away. But if they have Jesus, they're content. I got an email from a lady last night. She said, I'm 83 years old. And she said, I want to make sure you still have all the instructions for my funeral. She said, I'm hurting all over. But she said, I'm ready to go. She's not able to get out. She's not able to go and do and all these things. But, but she's got Jesus. She's ready to go so we can be content with what we have in him. Because that's where true satisfaction comes from. It's our relationship with Jesus. And he reminds us from Deuteronomy 31 here that God will never leave us or forsake us. So we never have to worry about him walking off. When I finally arrive at the place where all I desire is all that God desires for me, it is then that I find rest in the arms of true peace and contentment. Just take a deep breath and be content. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, he who has God in everything has no more than he who has God alone. Good words. Now we move from the moral imperatives to discuss the religious imperatives. He says, honor God's word through the word spoken through leaders. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's probably talking about those who had spoken to them but were now in prison. Paul, Peter, Timothy, we find at the end of the chapter that Timothy has just been released from prison. He says, remember the things that they said to you and imitate their way of life. Because Jesus hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's word is the same. If the Bible said it was wrong in the second century, in the first century, in the 21st century, it's wrong as well. The Bible does not change. Then he says, avoid strange teachings. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do. There are a lot of strange teachings floating out there today. Thank you, Internet. You're exposed to all of them. I was speaking one time and, and said something that was sound theologically. This, this was at a funeral. And afterwards, somebody came up and just let me have it about it. 
And all I said was, God takes us home when he wants to take us home. But they didn't disagree with that. And later, they didn't agree with that. They found out uh, that, that, no, that's, that's not right. That it's Satan who does that. And I'm saying, no, I don't think Satan takes charge in those areas. God is in control. And I found out that this person had been listening to someone online whose theology was way, way off. We got to be careful. We need to be like the Berean Christians. You remember them from Acts chapter 17? It said they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. We need to follow the example of those Bereans. It doesn't matter who's standing up here, whether it's me or anyone else, we need to examine the scriptures to make sure what is being said is true. Stay away from the strange teachings. These Hebrews, as we see toward the end of this, where he talks about that ceremonialism. You see, the Judaizers were trying to pull them back toward the Jewish customs of ceremonialism. They wanted to believe in Jesus, but they also, just in case, hang on to the ceremonialism. And if you've paid close attention to the book of Hebrews, you will see that Jesus is our high priest. Amen? The price he paid for us on the cross is all we need. It's the sufficiency of Christ. What Jesus did for us is enough. And we didn't need that. He goes on with this thought in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And what's he talking about there? Let's, let's stop right there for just a moment. The, the priests who sacrificed bulls and goats at the altar, they couldn't eat that meat. It had to be carried outside the camp and burned because it was used as an atonement for the sins of the people. The background for that is, is Leviticus 16, 27. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, those whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and a fowl are to be burned up. So now he's making this comparison to Jesus. Verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. Jesus suffered outside the city gate. You know, it's only been a few decades that that was... Uh, that we were able to prove that uh, archaeology through archaeology. They weren't sure. That's why there was a Gordon's Calvary, because it would have surely been outside the city gate. The, the traditional place, you see the picture with the skull and the rock and all that. But now they do believe, even the people who are, 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 they run Gordon's Calvary there, the English run that. They say, no, it was the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's the place where Jesus was crucified. And so it was outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. The camp represents the religious rules of Judaism, that he's trying to get them to think outside of that. Don't be pulled back into the old covenant. Remember, we embrace the new covenant. 
And he encourages us to identify with Christ in his death, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Never be ashamed to identify with Christ. Never be ashamed of what this word says. John 14, 6 says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Never be ashamed to identify with the Lord Jesus. Never be ashamed. So what are the appropriate sacrifices for a Christian? We're going to find that in Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. But let me give you just a little background because I think we need to look at this. Lifestyle worship, a biblical perspective. And I'm going to spend a lot of time here because you're going to be talking about worship in a few weeks. But lifestyle worship and sanctification. Robert Cup and I had a little discussion on that one time. Because I used the phrase lifestyle worship, and he said, that's sanctification. And I said, yeah, you're right, but, but we use both terms. So what is sanctification? Sanctification is a progressive work of God that sets apart or separates us unto God in position, passive, and condition, active, from that which is unholy, whether people or things. So basically, sanctification separates us from the world and unto God. That's separation. Separates us unto God. Now, justification justifies us before God, sanctifies us, sets us apart from the world and unto God. Remember that. There are three aspects of sanctification. Number one, there's positional, which is very much like justification. We're set apart just because I've asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. Then I'm going to skip over for just a second. Then there's ultimate sanctification. Someday, heaven. Glorification. We will be in the presence of God and we will be separated unto him forever. Forever. But then in the middle, there's experiential, where we're set apart by yieldingness to God, victory over sin, and growth in our Christian maturity. There are four sacrifices of the believer priest. The first one is found in Romans 12.1, and that's the body. And I'm going to save that for you all to talk about in a few weeks. But the body is a sacrifice of a believer priest. We are to give our bodies to God. He gave us our bodies so that we could use them for him. The body. And then there's praise, service, and stewardship, which we find in Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Continually, not just once a week. Continually. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So here we have praise, service, and stewardship. The four sacrifices of the believer priest are the body, praise, service, and stewardship. And that's the experiential aspect of sanctification. And when that is lived out in the life of believer, it is the expression of lifestyle worship. In other words, anything you do has the possibility of becoming an act of worship. Worship is not a once a week event. Worship is not just music. Worship is anything you do whether at your work or your play, it has the possibility of becoming an act of worship. I love what J. Oswald Sanders said about this. He said, worship is giving God the best he has given you. 
That's a great definition for worship. And one of my definitions of worship is this. Is worship is the ultimate expression of my relationship with Christ. In other words, it's the overflow. When I'm overflowing with Christ in me, then I will worship and I'll give him the praise for it. And he talks about the importance in, in the next uh, verse, 17, of having uh, honoring church leadership authority. He says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Those who are in leadership in the church have a higher responsibility because they answer for the acts of the congregation. They have to give an account. First Thessalonians 512 Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. First Timothy 517, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. The leadership structure at fellowship is clearly defined. It was clearly defined in the early church and is clearly defined today because we follow what was established for the early church. Leaders were chosen to preserve unity and leadership in the church. What they bound on earth was bound in heaven. And fellowship is a church led by elders and managed by staff. The elders make the decisions for our church. And when our elders gather they have to come to consensus on any decision that we make. They have to come together. We never have a 5-4 vote or a 5-6 vote now that we have 11 elders on our board. We'll never have that. It's either all of us or none of us or we don't move forward. There'll never be a 10-1 vote because that one person who says, I just don't feel like the Lord would have us move in this direction right now, then we will all stop and we'll continue to pray before we move forward. It's a beautiful thing. Over this past uh, 16 months, when we had so many decisions that had to be made during the COVID time, our elders never once failed to come to consensus almost immediately on what needed to be done. Not every church member is going to agree with the decisions of the elders. Before I was an elder at fellowship, I didn't agree with all the decisions. But you know what I found out? In almost every case, eventually I discovered I was wrong. I was wrong. And I trust the Holy Spirit working through our elders to lead our church because I believe that God is working in them to lead us. And so I want to make their work a joy and not a burden. And then he says, pray. Pray for us. And could I ask you to do that? Pray for us. We need your prayers. Be Sure to pray for your leaders. He says, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so I may be restored to you soon. It's a great exhortation for all of us. Do you have a prayer list? Something that you work through every day here in my Bible. This is, this is my prayer list. This is it. I have my prayer list that I work through every day. Over 200 people. That I pray for. It takes a long time. But I enjoy doing it. I look forward to it. I don't feel like my day has started out right unless I've worked through this list and it's ever growing. 
I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. I pray for our elders and, and their children and their wives. I pray for our staff and their children and our wives. I pray for each congregation. I pray for our global workers and all that they're going through. I pray for people who are ill and going through different diseases, people who have come to the elders for prayer and just spend that time with the Lord. It is our opportunity. I don't say that to boast. I'm just telling you, as I get older, it's more and more a part of my life that I cherish. We get to spend time with the creator of the universe. And look at look at what the scriptures tell us about this. Peter tells us in first Peter three, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to their prayer. He never turns his face away. And then James said the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, powerful and effective. We need to turn our eyes to prayer and spend time with God. And if Satan wants to get in your life and get you separated from God, what's the first thing that he will do? He'll make you too busy to pray. He'll make you too busy to pray. If he can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. I would challenge you. Develop your own prayer list that you work through every day. Keep it in your Bible. Open those pages of the Bible. And after you've read the scripture in the mornings, begin to pray. God will bless you with that. Well, our benediction, our worship leaders are going to cover that in just a moment. But then in our final greetings, I'm going to read that so that we finish out the book. Brothers and sisters, I urge you. This is like a PS. I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. And that's what this letter is. It's a letter of exhorting us to different truths. For in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. He wanted to write more. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and, the Lord, and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And there's one word I want to pull out of that section. Leaders. Greet all your leaders. We count on leaders here at Fellowship to step up. Over in this building, over in this building, on either side of us, we can't conduct ministry without leaders. Our small group ministry, we can't conduct ministry without leaders. We need you as a leader to serve in some way as a small group leader for community groups, working with our college ministry, working with our high schoolers, or working with our children. We need leaders. And you say, oh, not me. I'm not a leader. Yes, you can here because we define a leader in this way. A leader is anyone who expresses a measure of influence in the life of another person. So whatever it might be, you can be a leader. If it's a junior high student who's working with elementary, that's a leader. We want them to know from an early age that they have the opportunity and the ability to lead because God will work in and through them to do so. Aaron Marshall, we need leaders in small groups, don't we? Garland, you could use some leaders in college, couldn't you? Always, he says. So as we end this morning in this study of Hebrews, could I ask you to just bow And would you just contemplate this morning, how can I lead? You know, we have a group of people who write cards. 
to people who are sick. And I hear about that all the time for those who have received those cards, how much it means to them. And those writing those cards, they might, may not be able to do a lot of other things, but they're leading in that respect. Maybe something that we haven't even thought of. How could you lead? And would you just take a moment to spend with God and ask Him, Lord, how would you have me lead? What can I do to help further your kingdom and make a difference in this world? As we end our time this morning, I want to invite you to stand with us. We're going to read the benediction together as they're closing out this morning. So let's bring that verse on the screen. Let's read this together. This is Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Let's read it together. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the question is, how do we do these? I love what Hebrews chapter 12 says. It says, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, keeping our eyes on him. This morning, if you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you to my left, to your right in the prayer room. God bless you, Fellowship Faith. We'll see you next week.